Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Black Country Ramble. I, Kiz, am here as normal um, as our resident West Bromwich Albion fan. And I am joined by a Wolves fan. However, it's not our usual Wolves fan. It's not our resident Wolves fan, but it is a friend of the pod. You might even say brother of the pod, George, who is Jack's younger brother. George, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Not too bad. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Um, just botched the first intro um, when I said that you were half as old, twice as knowledgeable, and then uh, aptly asked you how old you were instead of how you are. <laughs> um, so we've had a bit of a full start at this um, intro this week. However, just going to... I'm 30 for the record. Yes. I'm 30 years older, old. Yeah. Um, which, me- which makes Jack 60 um, by yeah. that logic. Yeah. Twice yeah. as old. Anyway, <laughs> we are... Not going to go for our traditional trivia route this week, but I am going to pose a trivia question to George, which will segue nicely into some of our conversation. Norwich and Burnley have had the least shots in the Premier League this season. But George, which team in the Premier League has had the next lowest? So other than Norwich and Burnley, who are pretty woeful in the final third, which yep. team in the Premier League has recorded the fewest shots on their opponent's goal? Fewest shots. Um, Newcastle. I would think Newcastle as well. If we made it shots on target, then in fact it would be Newcastle. Right. Can you guess where I'm going with this though, George? Is it... Hold on. Norwich and Burnley, Newcastle. It's not Everton. It's not Everton. George, it's Wolves. Oh, is it really? It is Wolves. It is Wolves. Oh, sh- okay. Um, I, I found really, really surprising um, because I think... Oh, yeah. Uh, d- definitely a feeling like Wolves have been really attacking and maybe just wasted their chances this season. But I, I found that really, uh, really surprising that only Norwich and Burnley have had less shots. Another stat for you, George. Um, rate this, I don't know, rate this out of five on how surprised you are as a Wolves fan. Um, okay. Wolves have use the fewest players this season no one's used fewer players than wolves i'm i'm gonna rate that is wait one is the least surprise right yeah what one is yeah, yeah one obviously. yeah that's a one that's yeah, not surprising I mean, yeah, at it all. kind of is a bit yeah obviously that's that's wolves all over it speaks to the thinness of our squad but also um i think bruno i guess is is similar to nuno in the sense that he just kind of trusts his core of players and he's not really willing to experiment outside of that. Uh, as we've seen with Fabio Silva, who's barely played this season. Um, but I'm sure we'll get onto Fabio Silva later, but um, um, yeah, he, he came on for 10 minutes against Man U and was great, but yeah, not surprised by that at all. I have to say. No, me neither. I think that was a, a hallmark of Nuno's time at Wolves and it seems like it hasn't really gone anywhere. Um, yeah. there's a lot of criticism of the investment or lack thereof at the moment and we will cover mm. transfers later on but yeah, yeah. It, it didn't surprise me to hear that Wolves have only fielded 18 players this season and I think the next lowest was 22 um, so okay. it's quite a distance next stat um, rate this from 1 to 5 on how surprising it is Wolves have scored the second fewest goals in the league this season with 14 or rather, yeah. that, that might be the lowest. I'll just double check that. Um, they have scored, Wolves have scored 14 goals this season, which is the second lowest in the league. But they have only conceded 
14 as well, which leaves them with the second best defensive record. So therefore, I think what I'm trying to say is Wolves have the second worst attack and the second best defence. Um, I, th- I think that's incredible, but how surprising is that as a Wolves fan who watches them every week, George? Are you surprised to hear that? I mean, if, if I didn't already know it, because okay, that's one that I did know, I probably would be surprised by that because although, I mean, well, second worst attack. I mean, our, our attack hasn't been great, admittedly, this season. Well, not, not, it's not that attack hasn't been great, but we've definitely, goals is something that we've lacked for sure. Um, but second, second worst is, I don't know, you, you'd expect it, you wouldn't expect it to be that low. No. Um, and the same goes for the defence, really. Like, again, I feel like we've been very strong this season, but second best is mightily impressive and and a lot better than you would expect it to be. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, especially considering just the fact that a, a big narrative surrounding Wolves' season this year has been the fact that we're, you know, playing this new style of football under Bruno and it's a lot more attacking. It's There's a lot more cut and thrust about it. And it does seem like that to the eye. When you're watching us play, it's very... We're a lot less passive than I felt we were under Nuno, a lot less kind of counter-attacking. Mm-hmm. But then those stats are very like almost Nuno-esque stats, you know, defence first, keep it tight at the back, um, and, you know, winning winning games by nicking goals. That's kind of how we did it under Nuno. So that's that's very surprising, really, from that perspective. Yeah, I, I think it's incredible that Wolves, with a new manager who, and, you know, they're trying to be more attacking. I think it's incredible that they've got the second best defensive record in the league. Yeah. Testament to what, um, to what Bruno Large has been able to achieve in a really short period of time with that stability that I think in some, you know, to some extent probably is down to what Nuno was doing. Uh, but having said that, it, it's clear that it, things are slightly different. Um, you know, the formation is largely the same, but I do think the Wolves are rather than sitting back, they're having a bit more impact on the patterns of play and how a game is playing out. And I think that's yeah. how they've been. We seem to have a lot more control. We seem less reactive yeah. and more proactive. Yeah, I feel, I feel sure. like it's, it's definitely been uh, proactive defending. It's been more front foot defending, which is the yeah. big difference. People, you know, people can get on board with defensive style football um, as long as it's not backs to the wall, for 90 minutes every week, if if that sort of makes sense. I mean, I think Albion, yeah, yeah. it's a good display of how you can be an attacking team um, and therefore be defensively excellent. You know, you look at Man City and Liverpool, they are the other, uh, and Chelsea as well, you could put in that category. They're the best defensive teams in the league, along with Wolves and Man City. And they're also, you know, the most front-footed teams in the league. So there is some... Yeah, in, in, in the modern game, I don't I don't think you can make this distinction as much anymore between defence and attack. You know, attacking starts from the back now and defending starts from the front. So yeah. it certainly does for the best teams. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it... I don't think, you know, yeah, the fact that Liverpool plays such attacking football and high-energy, high-line football doesn't suddenly mean that they're going to concede loads of goals every week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Whereas it might have done before the evolution of, you know, the really sophisticated uh, gag and press that we see. Um, yeah. Used to be, if you played fast, you were probably going to give up a lot of goals. Um, you know, the great entertaining teams of, of days gone by. But now, like you say, I think with the modern game, the lines between defence and attack have become blurred. And I think that's yeah. something Wolves do really well. Um, but they're, they're clearly they haven't got that cutting edge 
that they yes. should have. And the, the most curious thing I find about Wolves, really, um, as we just said, they've had fewer shots than anybody except Norwich and Burnley. In the first yeah. few games, when they, they lost to Lille in all three games, they had about 50-odd shots. So that means... yeah. I mean, I haven't gone back and checked this particular stat, but that would mean that they had about 25% of their shots in three games, essentially. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's still, like, even with, you know, that volume of shots in the early days, as, you know, this system's been worked out, they really have a huge drop-off in the amount of shots that they're getting off. And, you know, when, you, yeah. when you're in the company of... Norwich, Burnley, and Newcastle for shots, but then they're in the company of Man City, Chelsea, and Liverpool for shots conceded. Um, I think it's a really, it's testament to how good Wolves are defensively. And I think it's fascinating as well. Um, yeah, and it, and it's testament to how much, obviously, more we have to improve going forward as well. You know, one of one of the things that has frustrated me as a Wolves fan this season, and there's been very little to be frustrated about, to be clear. Um, but one very minor kind of detail is that in every game when I'm watching it, and of course it's easy for me to say this, watching it from the bird's eye view that you get from a from a camera, but there's always a few moments in every game when there's a killer pass. Somebody makes a run off the ball uh, and instead of making that through ball to put someone through on goal, we'll pass it sideways or we'll play the safe pass. And I, I sometimes feel that we're too cautious in possession um and i do feel that it is within us to create more chances if we were a bit more if we took a few more risks on the ball yeah. but i don't know perhaps bruno has said you know what if we keep taking risks on the ball like i mean that's basically what we did in the first three games ultimately that brings more pressure on you because you end up giving the ball away more yeah. perhaps he said possession is more um sort of important than uh than uh, having that cutting edge do you know what i mean uh, I don't know. And I, I, I do suspect it'll change. We'll obviously touch on this with transfers, but I, I suspect it'll change um, when he gets the players in that he needs, because by all accounts, by his own account, he has not uh, had the players in that he really wants. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and moving on to the next one, this is not going to be a huge deep dive on stats, um, but I think mm-hmm. that at the halfway point in the season, I think it does really um, interestingly paint or rather paint interestingly the picture that uh, Bruno Large has, has had in his first uh, 19 games as Wolves boss. Um, the next stat, George, is kind of a historical stat. Sky put one out the other day, which was they that Wolves have, the current Wolves team, have the most points per goal scored in Premier League history, which I found really, really um, shocking. But a second yeah, stat, which I was doing the rounds on Twitter, um, was that in 1996-97... Leeds had 1.73 total goals per game in their games. So that is goals both scored and conceded. So on average, a Leeds game in 1996-97 had 1.73 goals per game. Now, right. Wolves have scored 14. Wolves have conceded 14. Wolves have played yep. 19 games. And if anyone's really, really quick with their maths, they'll know that that means they are currently way below that 1.73 goals in their game stat. Wolves currently, uh, Wolves games currently have got 1.47 goals per game um, in their games. That's fascinating, isn't it? So, so, so low. When you consider the lowest ever is 1.73, Wolves are essentially 25% lower than that. Um, Mm. Admittedly, not a full season, uh, and I'm sure 
there will be plenty of goals in some Wolves games this season. But what what a particular uh, stat that is. I, I mean, I, as an Albion fan, as a, you know, someone who's not a Wolves fan, I I just I was gobsmacked by that foul by that um, by that finding uh, because basically I didn't realise how few goals have been in Wolves games. If that makes sense, I didn't know it'd been <laughs> that dull. Yeah, well, this is the thing. Like, it's weird. Like, for me, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I don't know if my opinion here matches up with that of Wolves fans listening to the podcast. It'll be interesting to see how people respond to what I'm about to say. But for me, it hasn't been dull. Okay. Um, but I am a, a bit of a, I'm one of these people, you know, I was, I, I was brought up on uh, Catanacchio in, uh, in Italian football in the 90s. That was my, like, you know, I love good defensive football. I love, the art of defending. I, I, I can watch a nil-nil and find it enjoyable and maybe some people can't, I don't know. But um, yeah, it's crazy. We've had a lot of nil-nil draws this season. There's been a lot of extremely low scoring. We, we probably would have had a few more because the Liverpool game, we lost 1-0 and that was because of a penalty that wasn't, that wasn't a handball, the Moutinho one. It hit his uh, chest. Yeah. We had the Man City game um, where we lost... Sorry, yeah. other way around. The Man City game was the penalty. The Liverpool game where we lost because of the 95th minute yes. goal. Uh, that you know, if we don't concede that, that would have been nil-nil. So it has been. It's been extremely low scoring, but for me, not that dull. Like I'm, I'm enjoying watching Wolves play at the moment. I like the way that we build from the back. I like the way that we defend. Um, yeah, maybe other Wolves fans do think it's dull. I don't know, but for me personally, I've actually quite enjoyed it. I have to say. Yeah, I think the time we're having this conversation is going to massively dictate what the listeners are going to think as well, because you're coming off the back of a really, really good win at Man United, which we'll get into. That's true. Um, After we do stop. Strong position in the table. If we were like 17th right now, I might not be saying the same thing. Exactly. And we will move away from this, you know, half season review that it's turned into. And we'll get into that Man United game. But I very quickly um, want to mention one more stat. After I go through Wolves last eight games, one nil 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 one one nil nil one nil 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 one. Yeah, that is incredible. Reads, uh, reads like binary. It does read yeah. like binary. Yeah, it does. So I think that's probably why Wolves are currently on for the lowest um, total goals per game ever <laughs> in a Premier League season. And and yeah. you know because they've got that incredible stat that Skype out as well, the most points per goal in Premier League history uh, with two per goal, then they'll probably find themselves in a really good position in the table as well. Uh, yeah, however, there was we we had a little bit of we did do a proper deep dive on stats before we started the pod. Um, and one stat which really um this one really did surprise me. I um okay kind of spoils the game, doesn't it? If I tell you how much it surprised me first, but it was that <laughs> wolves obviously so so good defensively this season, but wolves should, and this is not should as in how have they not conceded this, but um in terms of XG, and the metric is exactly the same for all the other 19 teams in the league. Um, Wolves should have conceded this season if, you know, for whatever reason, there was no goalkeeper, no external factors, whatever. Expected goals, state. I'm just outlining it that way because I know we have a few expected goal sceptics listening at home. Um, JB, for example, uh, who can't be with us this week. (laughs) Wolves should have conceded 24.8 24.8 goals this season. Okay, that's total XG. Um, 24.8 goals. They've conceded 14. Now, that means that their goals minus expected goals, so the goals that they have actually conceded um, minus the goals they 
should have conceded is minus 10.8. Essentially, what that means is that the Wolves' defence have overperformed the amount of goals that they should have conceded. I'm doing should have conceded in the um, air quotations. Should yeah. have conceded by 10.8 goals. Uh, to contextualise that, the next best in the league is Chelsea, I believe, with minus 5.3. Okay, so Wolves have over... More than double. Wow, more than double the next best defence in terms of how many goals they've been able to stop um, versus their expected goals or goals conceded versus expected goals. A couple of reasons for this. Um, one is, you know, natural variance, some strikers missing chances, whatever. But I think the main reason is probably how exceptional Jose Sarr has been. I know you're a huge fan, George. Yeah, he's surprised me massively because, of course, when we got rid of Rui Patricio, I really thought, you know, it's I don't see how you can get better than 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 Rui. But Jose Sarr, not only is he an exceptional goalkeeper in the sort of quote-unquote old-fashioned way, let's say, of shot-stopping and commanding your area. But he, he, he plays such a massive role in the, way that, in the way that we play as well. You know, his distribution is excellent and building from the back, which is, you know, what all the top teams are trying to do these days. It seems to be the way, the way the game's going. He's fantastic at that. He's so good with the ball at his feet. And um, yeah, I mean, there you go. The fact that we've uh, conceded 10, effectively conceded 10 fewer goals than we quote unquote should have conceded according to the XG shows how good he is in goal. It's it's a, it's a really great way, great way to illustrate that. Um, it is also a little bit worrying though, because it means yeah. that if his form deteriorates at any point in the season, we will suddenly start shipping a lot of goals potentially according to the stats. So that's a bit worrying, um, which does suggest as. I mean, as does every other stat we've talked about, that we probably need to start scoring a few more <laughs> in the future. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think um, it it would probably be a good transfer window for Wolves if they could get in a creative player and an attacker, maybe to start finishing off those chances. Because what for whatever reason it's not happened for Jimenez uh, quite yet this season. And yeah, when, I'm, I'm not I'm not even sure are. about the the attacking stat. Sorry, kids, I've interrupted okay. no, you there, but. I'm not necessarily sure about that we need to sign an attacker. Um, and I think that probably go, flies in the face of a lot of Wolves fans as well. I, I love to be a contrarian me. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, we said earlier, we've got, what was it? The, the third fewest shots, was it? Between yeah. Norwich and Burnley. Yeah. So obviously we're not, really the problem is that we're not creating enough chances. You know, you could be the best striker in the world, but if you, if nobody's giving you that service you ain't going to score much. And we know Jimenez is an elite finisher from previous seasons. We know Huang can score goals. Pedro Neto is going to come back and he's good for a few goals. For me personally, I don't necessarily think we need a forward this transfer window. I'm not, I wouldn't turn one down. Don't get me wrong. But um, for me, the key is a creative midfielder. We've got to get someone in who can find those passes and thread those balls through someone who um, maybe even a ball carrying midfielder as well. Someone who can uh, just drag us up the pitch a few yards and create space, whether it's through dribbling or passing, we've got to find someone who can create space and create chances. That's Mm. key for me personally. It's strange though, because when you look at the Wolves um, squad, you've got players like um, Ruben Neves and Trincao, Mm -hmm. um, the likes of Daniel 
Pedence and Adama Traore. They have progressive players, whether that's dribbling or picking a pass that, you know, you definitely Neves is probably one of the best progressive passes in the league. And same with Moutinho. Is it that maybe there's no room for a creative player in the system? That's a problem. I, I think that West Brom are certainly having at the moment. Watching Albion at the moment is a bit frustrating. And if you're sat at home thinking, why are they not talking about Albion very much? Um, we've got a little bit of a uh, an Albion special to end the pod later um, with a guest interview. So hold on to your Albion scarves. But that's a problem that I think <laughs> Albion are having at the moment that we there's no room for a Mateus Pereira, for example. Um, right. Because we don't have a number 10 in our system. Yeah, and, and that certainly does affect our creativity in the final third. I don't, I don't know if, if there's much point signing that progressive passer, that sort of number ten, if the system doesn't allow a number ten. The time and well, the position on the pitch, George. No, that's true. Actually, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't thought about it like that. But you might have a point there. I mean. As I, as I kind of uh, said earlier in the podcast, that there have been times when uh, players like Neves, Moutinho, Trincao have been on the ball, and I, watching the game, have spotted a pass that they could make, yeah. Yeah. and they haven't made that pass, and they've made a safer pass. Now, I don't doubt Neves and Moutinho's ability to pick those passes, which suggests to me that perhaps um Bruno Large is possibly telling them to be a bit safer in their possession and mm. you know if, at the end of the day if you keep the ball your opponent can't score right so perhaps it's that kind of uh thinking yeah um but I still think we need a midfielder if if anything else just for, for the pure numbers of it I oh, mean we literally point. only have three central midfielders um <laughs> other, uh, not in, not including youngsters like Luke Cundall and and players like that who who I don't I, I get the sense Bruno doesn't quite trust yet but maybe he'll try and blood them a little bit mm-hmm. um it's literally Dendonka Moutinho and Neves and I wouldn't I wouldn't class Dendonka in in you know that creative bracket at all really no exactly uh, so you've got yeah two two players who who are you'd say progressive midfielders and certainly watching Moutinho and, and Neves to an extent this season, it doesn't look like they are playing with the freedom to go forward at, um, you know, how they maybe would in a 4-3-3. But yeah, I I, I probably agree with me over a bit. Maybe Wolves don't need a striker, especially with Neto coming back. And, you know, we've seen Jimenez in the past score goals for fun, basically. And, you know, Huang's clearly a, a decent goal scorer. Maybe it is that, that creative player, but... Yeah, it but... might necessitate a change in system, though. Like you yeah. convinced me a little bit yeah. there as well, because perhaps we might need to switch to a three-five-two, play Raúl and Neto or or Raúl and Huang up front potentially, and make room for an extra midfielder to operate in 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 the hole, so to speak. So possibly it'll be interesting to see who, if anyone, we go for. We actually have signed uh, a, a, an apparently creative midfielder, uh, a Japanese lad whose name I have forgotten. Let me just double check that. What's this yeah, lad's name I, again? I did see that. Is he is is he a first team player? Because no, much I, I believe there. I believe we're just going to loan him back to Grasshopper Zurich. Uh, okay. uh, that's my understanding. Hayao, I'm going to actually butcher his pronunciation, but he's Japanese. Hayao Kawabe, Hayao yeah. Kawabe. Uh, we've signed him for five hundred grand, so he's a low risk kind of signing but apparently smashing it in the Swiss league with Grasshopper Zurich very creative lots of goals and assists so 
obviously not the solution this season because, like I said, I believe we, we're looking to loan him back. Um, I think we're just signing him in this transfer window because he's still eligible under the Brexit rules and then those rules will change in time for the summer. That's my understanding. So we've just signed him now because it's like if if we wait till the summer, we won't be able to get him sort of thing. Um, So he's obviously not the answer. Yeah, I don't know. I'd like, I'd I'd like, I'd definitely like to see us sign a midfielder of some description. (laughs) Yeah. Who could just, just be an extra body in there if anything, if, if not anything else. Yeah, maybe recall Morgan Gibbs White as well. Who, I mean, yeah. every time he goes down to the championship, but he, he, you know, he looks really assured. Um, at yeah. that level and looks, you know, he looks like he's he's coming into his own again. Really, you know, I feel like Wolves fans say that a lot about Morgan Gibbs White. Okay, George, we've done a, you know, that has been it started a stats conversation, but it really did turn into almost a half season review, which was really fun, George. Um, yeah. As- this Thank first you, I enjoyed it. This season. Uh, but very briefly, talk to me about that Man United performance because what, watching that, that didn't sound, that wasn't the performance of a team who have had only, um, I can't remember exactly how many, but have only had um, the third worst shots in the uh, number of shots recorded in the league. And it wasn't the, the sign of a team who, you know, haven't had this manager for very long. It wasn't a side of a team who aren't playing with freedom. Um, I, I thought it was an excellent performance, George. What were your thoughts on it? Absolutely, yeah. It was controlled. It's how I describe it. We controlled the game from start to finish, um, which again goes back to even though we're not scoring very much, that's kind yeah. of why I'm enjoying watching Wolves at the moment. Um, defensively, we were solid. I do think Manu played quite badly as well. I have to admit, but you know, Manu are the kind of team that even when they play badly, they've got enough individual talent in that team that they probably should be able to. Yeah, to team yeah. like us a little bit more than they did, and really, other than Fernandez's chance where he hit the crossbar, they had they created nothing else of note. No. I think I think they only had one shot on target, possibly, if I remember correctly. Um, at the end of that game, um, we were just dominant. We were dominant. It was so so controlled, so well organized. Um, Moutinho's goal was very well taken, and it was more or less a perfect away performance at Old Trafford, which is a place we hadn't won since 1980, I believe. That, that's I mean, it. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, every, that's all I've got to say about it. It was, it was brilliant. That, that's an incredible stat. Um, and I, I think it's really nice for a, a team like Wolves to get the first win at Old Trafford since 1980. Um, speaking as a fan of a club who've won three times in the last 10 years at Old Trafford, I think it's really nice, you know, when these little stories come out of football. Uh, moving swiftly on, um, we will start the I'll Albion discussion slow. as well. Yeah, thanks, George. I'll, let the, I'll start the Albion discussion with some stats as well, um, which will segue really, really nicely into what I want to talk about. A couple of Albion stats. Um, fewest yeah, goals conceded in the league. Um, that's joint uh, with Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. we've conceded the fewest shots. We've conceded the fewest shots on target, which tells me, and we have the lowest XG conceded as well in the league. That tells me we are defensively brilliant. And this is not, there's no nuance in this. We are pretty shocking going forward. It, I mean, we could really? copy and paste a lot of what we said about Wolves to Albion, um, except Wolves are finding a way to pick up points a lot of the time. Uh, well, yeah. So we're Albion, but you know it's totally different standards. We're we're in a different league, expecting to be aiming for promotion. Wolves are um, having an excellent season. We 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 had a problem. Our problem was we couldn't score goals. 
Um, and very uncharacteristically for Albion, we went out and we signed a player to solve that problem. Uh, and I have to think <laughs> myself a little bit because that's normally not what Albion do. But uh, the signing of Daryl DK is a, a real marquee signing um, for a club like Albion. This is someone in the um, USMNT, uh, the United States men's national team. Uh, this is a really, really hot prospect in American uh, American football, in football in America. I'm not going to call yep. it soccer. Um, and he is, he's 21. He's powerful. He's got experience in the championship. He knows Valerian Ishmael's system. It's it's sort of a football manager signing in that if you were, if you took over Albion now on football manager, and you looked at the pool of young talent available in world football and you were like, well, who might be in our price range? Who might come and play for us? Who is going to be really effective? And you'd go, I don't know, Daryl DK. Yeah. And all of a sudden we signed him on January the 1st in Ishmael's second transfer window. I am delighted to say uh, that I am going to be joined. I say going to be joined. The interview is already done, but you are about to hear an interview with um, Andy Colton, who is a US resident, but he's an Albion fan. He's from the Midlands. And he is really, really knowledgeable on football in America. But it's fantastic to A, listen to someone so knowledgeable on US football talk about Daryl DK. And secondly, uh, if you want to read Andy's insight about Daryl DK, you can find an article that he did um, on Twitter, um, which is at over the bar on Twitter, and I will put their handle in the um, description to this podcast. Sit back and enjoy 10 minutes of Andy talking me through why Daryl DK should be an excellent sign-in for the Albion. I'm joined now by Andy Colton, um, who wrote a fantastic article I came across on Twitter this week for Over the Bar. I will put their Twitter handle in the description and you can find that if you want to. Andy's article was about Daryl DK, and you have quite a unique perspective. Um, where in the world are you joining the Zoom call from, Andy? Yeah, well, I haven't got a New Hampshire accent, but that's where I've been teaching for 20 years. And uh, I was a coach, coach soccer in the States, and it's a long story, blind date. And, you know, I, I taught in Australia, taught in England, and then I've been out here for 20, and it's a great part of the world. New Hampshire's beautiful. Very cold at this time of year. Yeah. Some people. Get seven feet of snow in the winter. I ski after work. You know, the slopes are about half an hour away. So, uh, yeah, put, put your skis in the car and ski at night. I mean, you know, well, that's pretty good. Brilliant. Um, that um, stateside connection does give you a little bit of a unique insight on Daryl DK, which was um, why I did enjoy your article so much. Um, when did you first become aware of DK? Because it's my understanding he was picked very early overall in the draft. A couple of years ago? Yeah, Daryl's background is, you know, he's at UVA, which is a big college out here, and they play extremely well. The best number nine there for a, a long time. Uh, essentially, college is the, is the stepping stone to professional. There's very few players who actually go into a club and, you know, called homegrowns, actually. It's mainly from college. You get drafted four years, three years at college, and then you declare yourself for the draft, which Daryl did a year early. He normally in 20, he was 19, although physically he looked, you know, he didn't look his age. Of course, yeah. He was picked five by um, Orlando City, and that's a heck of a statement. And so I was really intrigued by him. It's, Orlando City is a new, he's an American term, it's a new franchise. A new club um, come about four or five years ago, 
before Beckham's into Miami. Mm. And I was just intrigued. The games were on ESPN out in the States. First game he played against, I think it was against uh, Montreal, his debut uh, as a starter. And I just thought, this guy has it, you know, and straight away, I do a lot of media in the States and I just texted some friends who know a lot more than me. I said, this is, this guy is, is it. This, you know, is a dreamer as a West Brom player mm. with our number nine reputation. Little did I know in 18 months we'd have him as, a, as our signing. So it's just the most brilliant sort of, you know, completion of the circle to see his first game. Fantastic, yeah. I, I saw him live as well. I went to watch the Revs play Orlando. It was only two months ago. And that's a really good perspective. Um, can he do it against the best team in America? That's, uh, that's uh, the Revs were New England Revolution based in Boston, which is just down the road from me. He scored in the first five minutes. He, he was brilliant. He <laughs> and he was won a spot. penalty in that game as well. It, he did, yeah. He was fouled yeah. by one of his, actually one of his college uh, teammates uh, uh, from UVA, who plays for the Revs. And uh, it wasn't just the goals, it was the presence. It was the running off the ball. It was, the, it was just the, the all-round game and aura that he brings. He is a... He's a is an absolute um, physical specimen who wants the ball. You know, I watch West Brom week in, week out. We've not had a player like that really since Rondon. Um, and I know Rondon just split a few opinions, but, yep. you know, Rondon was, I felt at times, you know, was playing too deep and at his best, he was really, really good as number nine. And we've not replaced him at all. But Dwight Gale is a different striker completely, but... Mm. We thrive at a big number nine, and you know, Hugel isn't the answer, is he? You know, and he's certainly not. Which which does bring me on, uh, Andy, to my next question, which is basically having seen um, probably more of Daryl DK than most Albion fans, and having seen probably as much Valerian Ishmael football as the other Albion fans. How do you think he'll help, and do you think he'll be able to have that impact that he had when he first joined Barnsley? Yeah, well, Barnsley, first seven games, they won seven games in a row with, with uh, DK. Now, I don't, you know, it's the wildest dream to get seven wins in a row again. For me, I don't think we've play, been playing that bad on this bad run. It just looks terrible we're not scoring, you know. I agree. You know, the chances we've had, and to be fair, you know, at times some keepers have had some really good games against us. Mm-hmm. But once you get one or two goals, pressure's off the whole team, not just the forwards. 100%, yeah. And you dictate more and, you know, the crowd can relax a little bit. So what I've seen at DK is a very natural finisher and the chances we've been missing are the type of chances he's going to take. Now, I'm hoping, you know, there's massive expectation on him is because we so need this player. Um, it's yeah. not too much. but it's a lot of pressure what... on young, broad shoulders, isn't it? He's mature for his age, though. That's the thing mm. with DK. You know, he's, he has these broad shoulders, but if someone can take that pressure, I believe it's him. Um, well, that, that was my next question, actually, Andy. How do you think he'll cope with it? But then I, I sat back and I thought, well, he was drafted fifth overall, and as you say, a year early. He's played for the national team. Is this pressure for him? Or would those scenarios probably actually feel like more pressure? I think, you know, it's going to be eye-opening because I don't think, you know, living in America, you know, West Brom isn't the, you know, the, the club that everybody watches every week. You know, a lot, there's, a lot, 
there is, a, I mean, there's a good solid uh, supporters group within America. You know, right. absolutely. I don't write, but you know, the main teams are Man United and Liverpool. You know, the Premier League teams they are on TV every week. Now, West Brom were obviously in the Premier League. You can get access to any West Brom game pretty easily. Um, we wouldn't be the first choice every week, but certainly you can get get us on TV. Mm. So Ezekiel would be aware of, of West Brom as a club. He wouldn't be know he wouldn't know about Sir Regis and players like that. I hope he does, and I think it, the character he is he he'll feed off it. Is is a smart, yeah. intelligent, is inquisitive as well, which is a really good a good trait. Now again, we've got to get his crosses in. You know, the mm. wing backs have been disappointing recently. You can get quality ball to him, he'll score. Mm. You know, he'll be more of a he'll be more of a handful for other defenders to create room for the players to come through. You know, with all our red cards at the moment, who knows who's gonna put the crosses in, you know, or a bit of a mess at the moment. Yeah. But given the type of chance he'll be missing, I'm convinced he'll, you know, he'll he'll do well. And you know, the quicker he starts scoring, the better the pressure will be mm-hmm. off him to a degree. But I hope, I hope there's a certain amount of patience because we all just, we all as fans want to see him start well and build from there. And I think he will. I really do. Absolutely. It's nice for Albion to get in this early in the career of a, of a really exciting prospect. Um, which I feel we, we have done more over the last few years. But this, for whatever reason, um, is that little bit more exciting. It does feel... Um, like he's maybe the answer to a couple of the problems that we've got at the moment. Well, I think, you know, looking at Harvey Barnes, well, he wasn't ours. Mm. Yeah, you know, he's young and he was talented. Lukaku wasn't ours, young and talented. So it's about time, you know, we put, you know, we've put real investment and real faith in a player. And, you know, you go look at what we need. We, look, we need a striker, we need a young striker, we need a striker who can, who can actually inspire with a striker who I feel could take pressure. I mean, he ticks every box. Absolutely. You can see his character, you know, he's charismatic. He, the crowd's going to love him. I mean, it's just got to start well. You know, it's a big if, 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 if. In honesty, hasn't, you know, the way we've been playing, he hasn't going to do a lot to be better than what we've got. You know, it's not as if yep, he's going to... Fair point, yeah. <laughs> you know, position of strength, you know, we've been weak in, 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 in the forward line. So again, look at the fixtures. You know, Brighton in the cup. Will they be, will they bring their full team out? He hasn't played as well. You have got to remember that he hasn't played yeah. since um, sort of early November, which is not a bad thing in terms of he'll be fresh. But whether his match fit, you know, is it, it's it's doubtful and honesty. So, you know, he's the type of kid he'll work hard. He'll you know work at his fitness, but match fitness is different. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. And we've just got to hope that comes in time. Um, Andy, thank you so much for your time. Um, really, really valuable and unique insight, I think. Um, <laughs> New Hampshire's a long way from Sanwell, but it's um, it's lovely to have you on. Um, really, really valuable input. Well, I say I come to every year, I go, I go back to watch West Brom. I'm coming to the Swansea game, the whole game, COVID permitting. Oh, brilliant. You know, my, my kids, you know, we, we, we boing, boing in class. When I <laughs> West Brom score... It's not happened because school ends at 3.10, uh, you know, American time, 10 minutes into the, into the midweek games. We just haven't scored. Well, actually, when we have scored, I've been teaching. So, you know, yeah, try and keep the faith and uh, let's, let's hope for, a, you know, a DK-driven, brilliant end of the season. 
Absolutely. Come on, you when yeah, when when are those games, Andy? When's the Swansea game and the Hall game? I... Uh, it's February, but twenty eighth and oh, March seventh. Right. Now you know it could be the sixth, could be the twenty you know, seventh. But it's when they arrive, when I fly back actually during called February vacation over here. Yeah, well, I hope you make it COVID permitting and I hope you get to see DK score once again. Um, it seems like he performs for you, Andy, regularly. Yeah, well, as I say, you know, I just, we so need this. I mean, Absolutely. you know, it's been, we've been dragged down big Sam's years and, you know, the Billich years ended, you know, the start was great, but it's been a couple of tough years, you know, and the whole club, and we're a great club as well. We need a, we need a lift and, you know, we all feel the same. So, if it works, he's going to be just a hero. And let's fingers crossed. Fingers crossed to that. Thank you. He'll so do much. it. He'll do it. I'm confident. He'll do it. Yeah, I, I'm confident too. I'm confident too. I'm still crossing my fingers though. I'm not going <laughs> to. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not going to be brash. Uh, Andy, thank you for your time, mate. Um, and you're welcome back on any time. Really, really good fun to have Andy on there. Um, I think he spoke really, really well. And clearly he knows um, a thing or two about Daryl DK. Um, yeah, I'd, sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. I'd just like to echo those sentiments because I've actually listened to that yeah. uh, interview as well. And it was it was fascinating for me to listen to as well because I, I knew so little about him. It was great. Yeah, excellent. And my main takeaways really are in terms of what this means for the club. Um, in the short term, there's an awful lot of pressure on um, DK. Mm-hmm. But in the long term, this suggests to me this is this is investment. This is backing for Valerian Ishmael, you don't sign the number one target um, for your new manager on day one of the January transfer window for a huge sum for in you know for championship football. We're talking seven million quid. That's a lot of money for Albion. Um, you don't make that sign in if you're not still fully in on the long term project. So I think that that speaks um, volumes about where Albion are at in the short term and where they want to be in the long term. There's yeah. a lot of talk at the moment, George, which I'm sure um, most of it, you know, m- might not have reached you on social media about Gao Chan Lai and his role as the owner. Um, and he's actually been present at a game uh, for the first time in two years, which is amazing. Um, no, amazing. I did actually hear about this. Yeah, I read about yeah. it on The Athletic. Yeah. Fascinating, really. Amazing in yeah. the sense that I'm truly amazed that he went. Not amazing in the, <laughs> yeah, this is great sense. Um, but I, I, was, I was very surprised to see that. Um, he went to the training ground last month and clearly, you know, positive talks were held between um, Ishmael and Gao Chan Lai. And it was Gao Chan Lai who appointed Darren Moore and it was Gao Chan Lai who vetoed the appointment of Chris Wilder in the summer. So even though he, he appears a little bit anonymous, it, it's clear that he is having a really important role behind the scenes at Albion. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's strange to say your owner's behind the scenes, uh, but he almost seems anonymous, but he's clearly not. He's clearly um, very involved. Yeah, he's taken an active role, yeah. Yeah, uh, but but he hasn't been for a long time. So that's that's really interesting about where we're going. Back from... Hopeful thinking with Daryl DK and where Albion might go in the future. I have to talk about where we are right now, which is struggling. Um, our form over the last 10 games is bang average. It's I, I haven't even looked at the form table, but I would I would guess over the last 10 games, we would be 16th, 17th, if I was going to guess. Um and you look at teams like Blackburn and Fulham and Middlesbrough, 
even Nottingham Forest and Sheffield United just, you know, come into mind. They, you know, they, they can't seem to stop winning. Okay, I've just checked. We're 13th over the last 10 games, which just is, isn't good enough. Uh, we've got yeah. 13 points in our last 10 games, uh, 1.3 game, points per game. Nowhere near good enough. You need two. Well, if it's you want mid-table, to isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's bang average. It's properly mid-table form. However, we are still dominating games. I don't want to get into a bigger XG discussion about Albion because I feel like you can get that in a lot of different places at the moment. And I wouldn't really be adding any nuance to it. We are just struggling to put our chances away, which is why the signing of DK is so um, so important for us. And it, I mean, it's something that Andy touched on in the interview there, but I really hope that the signing of DK will liberate other players as well. I, I really hope yes. that, that Grant and Robinson and Dan Garner and you know, Matt Phillips when he plays, Alex Mowat, these players who are really, really good in the final third, you know, usually they can just breathe a little bit easier and they know that the burden isn't with them so much um, and hopefully DK can can seize his opportunity and become a fan favourite at the Albion because it's it's tailor-made for um, a young, hungry, star-spangled striker to come in <laughs> and win us over. Um, it's really exciting. Uh, it's a really exciting signing and I'll be at Loftus Road in a couple of weeks. COVID restrictions permitting, um, that is. I'll be at Loftus Road in a couple of weeks to hopefully see his debut, which is exciting. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, that'll be really good. Loftus Road is uh, obviously not that far from me. Uh, listeners will know that I'm not in the area anymore. I don't live in um, the Midlands at the moment, but I'm in London. So Loftus Road is more of a home day than an away day, but I will be making that short trip for the away day, which I'm excited about. George, anything else you want to add to the Albion before we move on to some um, preview chat? Yeah, well, the only thing that I, I can think of, you mentioned about um, how DK will hopefully kind of um, take a little bit of the load off uh, the players around him in a mental sense, just in the sense that, you know, the the burden of goal scoring is no longer on them. But probably I would imagine in a tactical sense as well, because he's the kind of player it sounds like I've never watched him play, but he has that presence in the box and all of a sudden he's going to draw defenders towards him. And he's probably going to create space for the other players in the Albion team to take advantage of. So in a tactical sense as well, I would imagine he'll be really positive for your attack. Um, Yeah. I mean, and that, that, that is the main reason um, that Ishmael wants him that, um, you know, Albion are excited about him. And I, if all goes well, even if he doesn't start scoring straight away, his link-up play will be so much better than what we've got. I'm sorry, Jordan Hugel. Um, and his <laughs> chance creation for others should be should be good. And, and like you say, even just his presence will occupy more... Just movement and dragging yeah, exactly. players out of position and stuff. 100%, yeah, um, 100%. Really exciting stuff. Um, and I do need to touch on the red cards. Can you stop getting sent off, please, Albion? Um, that is our fifth red card of the season with that Johnston one after the final whistle the other day was a stonewall penalty. Um, I'm not going to go massive into reviewing that because what's the point? It's, you know, it's gone. It's been done. It was a stonewall penalty. Albion should have had enough to win that game without that penalty. And we didn't, it wasn't good enough. That game was a microcosm of our problems over the last 10 games or so. And I mean, I'm, I'm not putting it all on Daryl DK, but I really hope he's a little bit of an antidote to that persistent problem. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay, then, George. So we have covered a lot so far. 
But I very briefly want to talk about the FA Cup games, which are coming up. Now, rather than try and predict lineups or try and predict how the games might go, I want to have a little bit of a, a, a not a rant, but I, I want to talk about the FA Cup because I'm going to sound so yada here and I'm going to sound so the game's gone. But it does make me sad. It does make me sad that I know the third round is coming up. Um, I'm not going to the Albion game. Uh, a lot of people won't be going to the Albion game. A lot of people up and down the country won't be going to watch their teams because the third round of the FA Cup isn't what it was. It's a yeah. second string tournament, uh, sorry, cup competition now that the big teams inevitably end up winning because they've got more resources. So if everyone's playing a second string team, the second string team of Liverpool is better than the second string team of um, Wolves, for example, or whoever it might, not that Wolves really have a second string because they've barely got a first string at the moment. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I just wish that the FA Cup was taken as seriously as it was because some of my best memories following Albion um, are in the FA Cup. We, you know, I often talk about the the team, you know, Mowbray's team on, on this podcast because that was a, a really special team for me growing up. And when we went to the, the semi-final of the Cup and we went to Wembley, that was fantastic. Wolves a couple of years ago um, yeah. got to the semi-final of the Cup as well and had a day out of Wembley. Obviously, both, both teams ended up losing um, by the old goal, but it wasn't, you know, that, that's not really the point if that kind of makes sense and uh, people will know what I mean by that the FA Cup is is properly magical when you get to the end of it uh, people talk yeah. about the magic of the cup in the early stages with the giant killings but the, it's a really strange feeling as a fan of West Bromwich Albion or as a fan of Wolves that you might win something at the end of the season once you get to that quarterfinal semi-final stage uh, and I I, I just wish that it was taken more seriously. Um, but I, I think I am sounding so yadar, George. So please jump in and either um, agree, <laughs> agree or shut me down here. Well, I'm afraid, I'm afraid uh, I can't offer a counterpoint because I completely agree with you. I think... Yadar um, and your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, is, it's, it is a real shame. And, and while I can understand why teams do it, you know, especially with fixture congestion and the there's just the sheer number of games that teams yeah, have to play. Season, yeah. Um, I can understand why managers are thinking more. You know, managers have other priorities. West Brom want to get promoted. They're not interested in, in a cup competition. They've got to prioritise the league over the cup, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. I understand why it happens, but it, it is a shame because pretty much every football fan's favourite archetype, if you like, trope of like footballing narrative is the the underdog story you know the david versus goliath everyone loves that story everyone is gets excited when south end knock out liverpool or whatever do you know what i mean I, that's not a really i just came up with that i don't know if that's ever happened but know. you know i don't think so yeah i just i just invented that but um you know it's it, it would be an amazing story and it would be exciting and you know especially for the fans in that ground watching that game that's going to be a memory that's going to last them the rest of their life and it's that it, it is as you said it, it's a cliche really to say it but the magic of the fa cup does feel somewhat diminished yeah. in recent years and that's that's a shame really but I don't I don't really see how you can solve the problem. I don't really see how you can, you know, without, a, you know, without doing something to ameliorate fixture congestion, which by all accounts seems to 
it's probably going to get worse in the coming years, not better. Yeah. Um, I don't. I really don't see what you can do about it. I think I, I do think that that it, that is true. And to take a slightly more cynical view on it, um, could you hazard a guess at what the prize money for winning the FA Cup is before I make this point? Oh, okay. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be low. If if the if the point you're making is the one I think you're gonna make, yeah, I'll say like I don't know what the prize money is for winning anything. I'll say I'll say. Uh, 12 million 12 million okay so you think it's nearly two daryl dk's for winning the premier <laughs> sure okay. yeah if that if that's a unit of measurement we use yeah. uh, um, it's 1.8 daryl dk's okay in the financial sense because i do think daryl dk as a unit of measurement would be would be a large unit of measurement <laughs> if we were measuring it physically but um daryl dk's in the financial sense yeah um no, it is not 12 million. It is not nearly two Daryl DKs. It is 1.8 million, which is. Jeez. Yeah. That's pathetic, is, isn't it? Yeah. It's not even the modern third, game. Not even a third of a Daryl DK. Um, <laughs> the game's gone. That's, yeah. But, well, that's nothing, is it? I mean, you can't. Literally nothing. No. In, in football, in, in terms, in... there's no incentive to win it other than um, the prestige. The prestige and the, uh, the honor, the, you know, the almost the the gloss of the cup, if, if you get what I mean, like it's it, not to say that winning something is pandering to the fans, but like the effect that that had at Leicester last season is incredible. Like yeah, you know, fans, it's a once in a lifetime thing for a, for a club like Leicester to win a major trophy. And they managed to do it twice in the last five years. Um, but, or maybe it would have been a, a while ago, Leicester, obviously not in that category anymore. But I think that there's no incentive other than to, a win a trophy for your CV as a player and a manager and win a trophy for your fans. Yeah. If I'm honest, those two things pale in comparison to the financial incentive that exists in other aspects of football. So for example, the prize money Sheffield United received last season for coming 20th in the Premier League was 91 million. Um, That's a lot of Daryl DKs. So... (laughs) And Albion, for example, got 101.7 million for getting relegated, which is just over seven Daryl DKs. Um, yeah. That's no, way more than seven Daryl DKs. It's nearly 15 Daryl DKs. Uh, I don't know where that's seven from. It's nearly 15 Daryl <laughs> DKs. Like that is pretty um, frustrating, really, to see that that's the way it is. I think if there was more of a final, I know it's fronted by the FA rather than um, the you know, the money that's behind the Premier League. But if, I don't know, if there was more financial incentive to win the FA Cup, then I think think teams would be able to take it more seriously. Um, Yeah. In an ideal world, it shouldn't be like that, should it? You know, just the prestige should be enough. But in the the reality, uh, if we, as you said, if we're being a little bit cynical, is probably that it's, um, yeah, it just isn't enough until you get to the latter stages of the tournament. Yes, of and then the financial incentive melts away because all of a sudden you've got a chance of winning it. But in the third round, fourth round, fifth round, it's kind of, especially for the bigger teams, for the Premier League yeah. teams and the big six teams, it's just sort of an irrelevant distraction. Yeah, really. and it, exactly. And it's it's a, the case is that like it is not that the FA Cup should be um, financially motivated. You should want to go win the FA Cup for a multitude of reasons. But it's that the financial incentives elsewhere are so strong and so dominant in football that you end up sacrificing things like the FA Cup or the League Cup just to end up 
making sure you've got your best 11 for the league so you can yeah. compete um, eventually in Europe and, you know, um, work your way up the table. And I, I think that, sadly, it, this problem's only going to get worse. For the, yeah. You have the third round, which is amazing for a very, very small amount of teams. It's fantastic. I love the third round of the FA Cup. And then you yeah. have the select few who get to the quarterfinals. Other than that, it seems like dead space, including... You know, we've got Brighton, you've got Sheffield United. Is anyone excited for any of those four teams? <laughs> no, like... Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, even as a Wolves fan, I'll obviously check the result and and maybe even tune into the game if there's nothing else yeah. going on. But I, I don't know if this is blasphemous to say, but yeah, probably I'm not that bothered. I don't. If we um, lost, it wouldn't be devastating. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, Wolves with, you know, the smallest squad in the Premier League could probably do with being out. And Albion with... Um, with a terrible disciplinary and injury record this season could also probably do with being out and just focusing yeah, on. Yeah. And that's yeah, it, isn't it? You, you never yeah. really want to utter that sentence. Do you? No, like, we could probably do without this comp, this massive trophy. And we're the fans. If, if, if they're yeah, not here yeah. to pander to us, because <laughs> we're not asked until it gets to the latter stages, then what incentive is there as a player and as a manager to pick your best team and to, to perform to the best. Yeah. Other than, you know, professional pride and the history of the cup. But that yeah it's sad but it, it yeah i don't know maybe i'm i think i've hit a brick wall and i'm just like this is the way it is full stop i think i was more yeah. sad about it at the start but i think this is this is just the way it's going to be a uh, very quick prediction anyway george we have no idea who's going to start for any of the four teams <laughs> involved but let, let's throw some predictions in there anyway um yeah. wolves against sheffield united on sunday george how do you think you'll get on i am gonna say Sheffield United are playing pretty well, and I, and, I, and I think that we will pro- possibly play some of our youngsters. So I still think we'll win, but it pr- possibly might not be as comprehensive as some people might suspect. Yep. I'll say 2-1 win for Wolves. Nice. Well, I know that replays have been um, scrapped for the third round, which is, oh no, has financial repercussions for the lower sides um but i think that one will be nil nil um you know really going against the grain with that prediction um, <laughs> i think that one will be nil nil and i think that wolves will win on penalties okay yeah i can see that i'm not going to go as far as to predict the score of the penalties but i think wolves on pens um albion <laughs> four against, two four two yeah there you go um albion against uh, albion we host brighton on saturday at three o'clock I don't fancy us at all. Uh, mm. I, I, I think this is the first time I've said that in uh, the 18 months we've been doing this podcast. I don't think we're going to win this football match. I think Brighton are going to win this football match. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think Brighton have got a lot of quality. And I think it, the FA Cup's perfect for Brighton because there's no danger of them going down this season. And put nicely, there's no danger of them getting into Europe either. So I think that it... it this is the perfect competition for a manager like Graham Potter to cement his legacy almost at a club like Brighton before he moves on. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if Albion ring the changes. Yeah. So what's your what's your prediction? You didn't give me a score. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I didn't. I'm going to go for 2-0 Brighton. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm in agreement with you on this one. Um, don't really have much more to add. So I will say... Daryl DK is not likely, likely to play, he's is he? He's not likely to play, but he will be eligible. He's he's not played since November, so he's he's not okay. match fit really. But they might use it as a chance to give him twenty minutes. But um, 
imagine if he gets injured. That's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. They probably won't want to risk it, will they? Point. Go on then. I'll I'll say just to be different to you, I'll say three nil Brighton. Cool. The one thing I do want to see from that game is um, Reyes Cleary, who is an academy player, he's 17, but uh, he looks awesome uh, on video. I'd love to see him get a chance. Um, nice. I, I don't know if he will. Hugo might get the nod. Um, but I, I mean, I hope that Hugo's kicked his last ball for Albion. Really. No, maybe I'm being harsh, but I don't know. I, I just don't know if Jordan Hugo's the answer to, to anything. If, if Jordan Hugo's the answer, <laughs> what's the question? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose he's worth keeping in as a squad player at least, but maybe, yeah. But he, if we did get rid of him, we would free up a loan position and we could go back into the market with, you know. Oh, I see. Yeah. I see what you're saying now. For a support striker, maybe a Dwight Gale. Whisper it quietly. Yeah. Um, sorry, Alvin <laughs> fans who are fed up of the same transfer rumor for the last five years, but there you go. <laughs> I'm sure it'll come up on like Jan 26th. We'll be back in for Dwight Gale. Um, Okay, so you're going for 3-0. I'm going for 2-0. I'm going for Wolves on pens. You're going for Wolves normal time. Um, I hope that's. I hope all of those things are wrong. I hope Wolves get battered. I hope Albion win. Um, as always, I hope <laughs> Wolves get battered and Albion win. But I don't know if those things will happen this weekend. George, can I just say thank you so much for coming on at short notice. You have been a wonderful stand-in, a wonderful understudy to your older brother, uh, and you are welcome on any time again. It has been a pleasure having no you on, as it was last season, George. You always uh, speak very well on this podcast, and I'm sure our listeners agree. So thank you, George, for your time and your input. And thank, thank you. Thank you. The pleasure was all mine. You are very welcome. And thank you for listening. Remember, if you want to find Andy's article all about Daryl DK and how um, interesting his story is, you can find that over the bar on Twitter. Um, And I think Andy's um, at on Twitter, which again, I'll put in the description box, is um, Andy from Newham, as in New Hampshire. But I will. I'll type that out so you've got that in the description box. And um, if you can tell a friend about the black country ramble because nothing is better than a an old-fashioned recommendation i think i never listen to a podcast unless it's come from a recommendation basically so yeah tell a friend write us a review tell us a friend and uh, retweet us on twitter we really really could do with the exposure because um you know we always want to keep growing getting more listeners and as fun as this is doing it um, week in week out anyway it would be wonderful to keep growing as a podcast and get some more support thank you for listening thank you so much because it has been a little bit of a long slog this weekend a bit longer than it has been in recent times but i hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode of the black country ramble and we will see you very very soon 